Continuing on in Hebrews 6.10, For God is not unjust to forget your works and the labor of love which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints, the believers, and do minister. Now, saints here, he ain't talking about dead Christians. This is not Catholicism here, okay? We are called saints. Christians are the true saints, okay? And they're laboring now. Okay, and serving the Lord. And it says, and God doesn't forget it. Now, we talked about God is not indebted to anyone. But through Christ, he's chosen to reward us. He rewards the righteous. He rewards the wicked. And so it'd be unjust for God to punish wicked people for their sins and not reward those who live right. Paul calls it living righteously. John called it living. It means it wasn't a mystical position in Christ in heaven. It meant holiness was working out. It means it's working. People say, well, I'm the righteousness of Christ, God in Christ. That's true if you're following the Lord. If you're not, it's not true. You cannot be the righteousness of God when you're stealing or fornicating and making that a way of life. You're not the righteous of God. No matter how much you say, Lord, Lord, you're going to be cast in the lake of fire eventually. Okay? So God chooses through his Son and because of the Son to reward righteousness and all good that is done in him with the help of his Spirit, of Christ, and even to him. Some babes and novices, they can't produce spiritual things as far as ministry, because they're not mature. But God still honors good intentions. And even if they're wrong and their heart's right, God can overlook certain things. But it still won't make it spiritual, and that ministry will not be spiritual and won't have no true relationship with producing spirituality or results in the spiritual world. So that's why we don't give novices places of authority. Authority is for those who are maturing, who know the scripture and who are following the Lord. It's not meant for babes and novices until they grow up. So God chooses through Jesus, the son, to reward righteousness and anything done in his name. Instead, we can give a cup of cold water. Jesus' time, they lived in desert areas too. And that was the least courtesy you could do to someone coming by or visiting you. Today, we give them a cup of coffee or offer them a soft drink. You do the least. That's the least good you can do for them. They wash their feet often. That was part of the custom, to dust off their feet and made them comfortable. They were very hospitable to them. That was part of the Jewish culture, demanded them to be hospitals, part of the law. Okay, So the Jew understood this. But Paul uses the word, God is not unjust. He, in human terms, he would consider it wrong not to reward those in Christ, living for him, obeying him, and being Christ's brother. So that's where the rewards come in. If every idle word the wicked will answer for in punishment in hell, in lake of fire, then the least good that any Christian does, it'll be added to his rewards in heaven is standing, which we don't have no concept what it's going to be. It's just going to be glorious, okay? So his wisdom and plan made it all 
possible for him to legally, justly, in holiness, to make a clear way through Christ Jesus, through his death and resurrection. So this is all of his wisdom was included when he was merciful to the sinner. Now see, well, one-third of the angels with Lucifer rebelled, and God let it go on for a certain time. Then he cast this, said, uh, Jesus said, like lightning from the sky, I saw Satan thrown out of heaven. That's how quick it was. It was instant. Once God had tested them, and they sinned against him without temptation, and evidently they, two-thirds of them chose not to, okay? And he ha he's legal in this, but he makes no provision for their repentance because they saw God face to face. They had all the privileges. They had all the glories. And God simply said, there's nothing left. I'm not going to do anything else for them. They've spurned the greatest of grace, and therefore I will harden them. And he did. And he took everything out of them that was holy and just and true, and they are perverted beings now. The sin twisted them. It says, you were perfect in all your ways, the scripture says, until sin was found in you. It said he corrupted his wisdom. He was made the wisest of angels, cherubim. And then when he started to say, I'll do this, and I'll, he started to separate himself from God. He wanted to be a God himself. And God permitted him free will agency to do this. See, he don't, he don't have robots. He doesn't make them do it. It's not like the animals that have instincts that are placed in them, and they basically can't do anything else. So God doesn't judge them or call them into moral judgment. But he does man, and he did the demons when they rebelled, the angels. Now, chapter 12, verse 1, he changes the thought a little bit. Therefore, because God's done all of these things, and he's accepted the Jews, the Gentiles, he's made plans for all of these things, and you're a Christian. Some think he's talking to the Jew in the first verse and the Gentile in the second. Well, you might be able to figure some out, but he's talking to both of them too. Therefore, for this reason, what I've just previously told you of who God is and what he does and how he helps us, and, and he's made all these wonderful plans for mankind. Therefore, I employ you, I urge you, brethren, so he's talking to the church, by the mercies of God, by the graces he gives, by the help that he gives. See, he's the helper. Again, he's not the doer. If he does something outside of man, then it doesn't have to do with the body of Christ. That's between him and the angels. He can do things in the world and nations and stuff. He don't have to work through the body of Christ to do that. That's why Paul said, Christians judge, evaluate. Mature Christians are judge. Those who sin and fall into gross sin and don't repent, they're to deal with these people. And if they don't repent, they're to throw them out of the fellowship so they can judge. But Paul said, but what do we have to do with those without? Well, the world does wicked things. And we can find all kinds of wicked, but we are not to involve ourselves too much with the world. We involve ourselves with the body of Christ or true Christians. We can't regulate what they do. And he says, Paul said, God judges them. 
So when he's ready, he pours out his wrath and punishes people or nations when he gets tired of something. Or in some cases, he lets them store up more wrath because they can be punished more when they enter the lake of fire. Okay, that's holiness and justice. Okay, by the grace or mercy of God, you should present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. So here the Jew would understand, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or your duty. Okay, so most likely you could find he's talking to the Hebrew Christian here who understands the law. So we see that. The whole burnt offering is what he's talking about under the law could not be shared with the priestly family. Many of the offerings and stuff, the priests and the Levites took 10%. The offerings, even the priestly family and the high priest, they can take the best part of the animal for food and to eat it. God commanded that, that that was their due. But when it was a whole offering to the Lord, it was not to be shared with anybody. It meant it belongs to God alone. So he's telling the Christian Jew, that's what God wants from you. He don't want you sharing me with other gods or other people. It's all me. I expect this. This is what he wants. That's under the law. Love the Lord the God with all the spirit, soul, and mind, and will. He said it's the first commandment, and it still stands. Jesus quotes it. All of the other commands fall under that. If you do all the other commands, you fulfill that one, okay? But it was all God's. You give and live for Christ. You are bought with his blood, and you are not your own. This is what Paul told us. People think they're saved just to keep them out of hell. That's not the point. That's the bonus that goes along with it. They're saved to serve the Lord. And many people think, oh, well, at least I'm saved. No, you're not. You're deceived. Oh, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. See, they know they're not obeying him, but they think he's their Savior. They're deceived. They're headed for hell under deception Uh huh. because he's not their Lord. As we said before, the word Savior is only used 16, 20 times in the epistles. Lord is used 400 sometimes. What do you think is more important? What is he trying to get across to people? Okay. So all, only what is acceptable to God, we want all to love him with our spirit, soul, and body. That was the first commandment. That's what he created us for. And not anything else. Anyone or anything else is idolatry. Anything. It could be your family, your children. It could be your job. It could be anything. When you decide to put it before your duty to God, especially when God's made it plain what he wants, then you're an idolater. And Paul says, and no idolater has eternal life abiding in him. God won't put up with it. Okay, says he is a jealous God. And visits the sins of people. And he said that if they go after other gods, he said, I'll, I'll be a consuming fire. Well, Hebrews repeats it. And the consuming fire ultimately is going to be the lake of fire. God's wrath and vengeance will be expressed fully. Nothing will stop it. See, that's holiness. So he's telling those who go into adultery, I'll, I'll consume you like fire. I'll turn on you. He said, if you forsake me, I'll forsake you. As I've loved you, he said, I will hate you. See? 
People don't want to read those scriptures because they're like one little scripture called God so loved the world. Well, this is the judge of the universe, and he's going to come with the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, and he's going to be the one who consigns all to hell and like because he's God. He cannot be separated from the Father. Okay? Verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world. He doesn't mention sacrifice but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So some say he's talking to the gent, including a Gentile. Well, he's talking to both. So that you may prove what the will of God is. Aha. Uh-huh. And that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. They're not separated. You prove what is the will of God by the renewing of your mind. As James says, you prove you have the Christian faith by your spiritual works. And so when people say it's all grace and faith, they're liars. They pervert scripture. It is not faith alone. You have to have spiritual works. You believe and you trust God's righteousness for your past sin. And then, yeah, it's alone. He takes care of it. But then he, you have to live for him. Paul said the just shall live by faith. He didn't say they have a one-time experience. He said they follow the life of their father Abraham. He was the father of the Jews and the Gentiles. That's why he was the father of faith. And he said, you are to imitate him. Well, how do I imitate him? I obey God when he tells me to. He didn't say, I just believe who he is. Everything he believed, he obeyed. And until he obeyed, his belief was not brought in. God didn't reward him. He tested him by faith. He believed and trusted. But only when he offered Isaac did God said, now I will bring these things. to." See, he had to prove it by obeying. So faith without obedience is a false faith. That's what James was telling us. Paul says it a different way. He said, if you're under grace, he says you obey righteousness. And as he said, you didn't obey righteousness, you're under death and wickedness. You're not in Christ. He said, if you're under grace, he didn't say you don't have a license of sin or freedom to do anything. He says, you have the power to serve the Lord. That's what grace is. It's a strength. It's not passive. It's active. It produces something. Most Christian, professing Christians, they have passive faith. It don't work. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power to live God's life and to please him and for him to run their life. They run their own life, and they think they're giving God enough like the Pharisees did. They upheld the law, and they gave their tithes because under the law, you could be punished. Now, the free will offerings, uh, often they had two chests in the main area. They had others. But one was for the tithes, and that was commanded by God. But the free will offerings, that was your choice. Well, the Pharisee was careful to give the tithes. But the Bible says they were thieves and crooks and adulterers, the Pharisees. And what did Jesus say? If your righteousness does not exceed the Pharisees, you'll no wise enter the kingdom. What was the righteousness? Their good works. He said, it better be better than the Pharisees because theirs was legal at minimum. How much can I do and still make it? How much can I give God and still do what I want? Well, that's why they were called 
wicked as a whole and perverse. And that's why Jesus said, your father's the devil. He's not God. See? So all that mental belief didn't do them a bit of good, did it? They were consigned to death and hell. Okay? So we prove by our lifestyle. We prove by our faith and obedience that we're in Christ, that we have the right kind of faith and that grace and faith is working. And so those who don't have that, we can question. And that's why Paul said, if someone, a brethren, is fallen into gross sin, he says, you confront him, and if he doesn't repent quickly, he says, you throw him out. You don't have, you treat him. Paul called him a wicked person. Christians are not called wicked people. It means the spirit departed. He would not conform. Now, God takes time and punishes some before he cuts them off. But he don't drag this out for years. Like people think a hound of heaven. That's not true. Paul, when he preached to the Jews and others and they rejected him, he said that you, you judge yourselves unworthy of the kingdom. He said, I'll go to the Gentiles. He didn't start going every Sabbath after that, it's believed. They as a whole rejected Christ and kept on rejecting him. Uh-huh. And he says, a heretic, a person that gets into false teaching and tries to bring it into the body of Christ, he says, you warn him two or three times, then you have nothing to do with him. You throw him out. So you treat him as a wicked person, a deceived person, because he will not be admonished. And he believes because he's under deception and will not repent. He's stubborn in his willfulness. And God says, I have a solution. Cut him off. And that's what they did. Nowadays, they don't. Those kind of people run the churches. If you really know the truth and what's going on. So some say now, the Gentile is reminded, but it implies to the Jew, that he's called out of the world and the wicked lifestyle. Now, we're not talking about the earthly world. We're talking about the world of wickedness and mankind and the devil and the political and religious systems. We're not talking about something earthly here because he's not going to be called out of the earthly until the rapture or until he dies. He's going to be stuck here, okay? He's called out of the world, its lifestyle, the lust, the desires. He puts them under. He keeps So the Bible recognizes that the old man that you still have to contend with. And we will not be delivered from that completely until we die or we're raptured. Because the old will not, but it has the potential. That's why you have temptations by your flesh, the world, and the devil. Okay. James said you are drawn away by your own lust. He calls it your own lust, the fallen nature, the desires. And he says you rule them. Like he told Cain. You got these wicked desires. He said, it's like an animal. He said, you rule it. Well, he didn't obey God and it overtook him and the spirit of murder entered him and he killed his brother. But God warned him. He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to yield. Okay. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Everybody knows this one or they should. Do not love the world or the things of the world. He's not talking about the earth itself. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, we need to tell the prosperity, faith and prosperity this, because their main object is covetous materialism and getting wealthy in this world. That sort of nails them right there, doesn't it? But they're deceived and they want to believe it. And they're idolatrous, because Paul said a covetous person is an idolatra. And he said, and you know he has no eternal life in him. He's made it very plain about these setting your mind on the world and all of these things for selfish reasons, too. Okay? He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Christ is not in him. The Spirit of Christ is not moving in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but of the world. And it's instigated and encouraged by the demonic, by the powers of the devil. He instigates. James said, every man is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So the demons like to play on that and entice this lower nature. And we have to keep it under. And we can. We have to rule over it. So when people talk about all this grace and all this faith and they're living like the devil, well, I don't think they have it, okay? And the world is passing away. The political, the world system, man's thoughts, man's religion, all of these things will pass away. They won't get into heaven because the old man and the old nature will not leave, okay? But he who does the will of God abides forever. It didn't say he who believes the word of God. Didn't use it in this context. He said he who does, works the will of God. That's what it means. Obey. See that I could talk all this mental faith and grace and believing. And they're the ones that Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. And they believe he died on the cross. And they believe he resurrected. And he says, I never knew you. Okay, does the will of God. And that's what Jesus said. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I tell you to do? Lord means master. It was understood then and now. Master meant you had a slave and he owned you. And what did Paul say? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. You may be a child of God, but you're still a slave. And he requires total obedience. That's what he's after. Okay. Go to one more scripture for now. Colossians 3, 2 to 3. Remember this when you're talking to the prosperity faith people about their materialism and their covetousness. Okay. 2 and 3. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so you have to live and keep the old man dead, or he will resurrect. That's why temptation. And yet the Lord promised he'll not allow you to be tempted more than you're able. He gives us grace and strength that we don't have to obey the dictates of the old nature. But if we make provision for it, that scripture don't apply. See, if you're making provision, a, a person that's been a past alcoholic or drunk, the scripture calls it a drunk, and you still have those temptations, 
You don't go to the bar every night and say, no, I hope I don't drink this. I hope. You don't go into the place. You don't make provision for it. You don't allow it in your house if that was your weakness. Now, other people can get away with drinking a beer or wine if they don't become drunks. But some people can't. That's their weakness. And Hebrews says the sin that does so easily beset us. So certain sins are more accessible to certain people. Sin takes many branches. Some people are tempted with drugs and alcohol. Some people never even have this temptation because they're never confronted with it. It's no great thing that they, because they don't have to resist it. I don't like alcohol. I don't like drugs. I've not done some great thing in overcoming it. I've never yielded to it. But there's other sins I have to watch and other temptations, and it varies with various people. People told me, well, it's a sin to watch all television. I said, well, that might be true for most people. I said, but if you're spiritual, you can walk over and turn that knob when it's something you don't like or something that's not good for you. And that applies to nothing is impure in itself. It's what man does with it. Paul said all things are pure in themselves, but the wicked man and the flesh always pervert things and twist things. And they always will. So things that will be used, money, all things in this world we can use as a Christian, but they're not to use us. There's nothing wrong with money. It's the love of money that is the root of many evils. Because the prosperity people, they want two homes and four cars, and they want to be a king's kid, and they think God sent angels to bless them. They're on their way to hell. They're covetous and tied to this world. I've talked to these people for years. I've known them for years. And every time I meet and see them, they don't change. They don't know nothing spiritually deep. All they know about is prospering materialistically and how to invest your money and get the hundredfold because their mind is not spiritual. Okay? So you do these things. You do things transforming your mind that you may prove gives practical evidence that you are in Christ, following him and doing his will. All Christians require that. Everything else is false. Greasy grace, once saved, always saved. He'll understand. He loves me unconditionally. That ain't going to help you at the day of judgment. You know, people tell me, well, I know God loves me. Oh, well, he'll do it. He has goodwill, that kind of love for everybody. And most of them are going into hell, the lake of fire. That don't change the fact that while they're here on earth, he still has goodwill and wishes them to repent. They interpret that love as like my father and mother. They spoil me and let me get away, and it don't matter what I do. They'll always forgive me. Well, God is not that way. His holiness does not permit him. His righteousness will not allow it. And it says he loves righteousness. He's not trying to do away with holiness. and right. He's not trying to find a way to excuse wicked people. He wants them to overcome, or he'll judge them. That's God's attributes, who he is. So those things, good and noble, those things God accepts. That's walking in the Spirit. That's conforming your mind to what Christ wants and what is good in this world. What is good, Hebrews says, practical holiness. He talks about righteousness that God punishes the Christian sometime 
when he gets into certain sins, so he'll get out and stop his sinning. He says, what happens when he stops his sinning? He's not sinning anymore. He's not disobedient and rebellious. He's confessed it and repented, and now he can go. And then it says, he's holy, see? And then he adds a little clause. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. So all these people claim to be Christians and they're not holy, they're not going to see the Lord. Very simple, okay? They just, wicked people and false shepherds like to twist, like the Pharisees did. They twist everything around to suit them. The Jews, Pharisees, they came up with 640-some rules when the law only had about 50 or so. By the time Jesus came, they had all, and Jesus said, you don't lift your finger to help them. And they were adulterous, and they were thieves and covetous, most of the Pharisees, okay? Outwardly, they presented themselves as righteous. And Jesus said, but inwardly is dead men's bones. And that's why I said, Job was not your father. He said, the devil's your father. They didn't like that. No wonder they wanted to kill him, huh? And as we live that kind of life, then one day it leads to the perfect will of God. We are in the perfect will of God if we walk in the light that we have. Don't mean we're perfected. It means we're growing. It means we're walking in the Spirit. We're not walking in known rebellion. We're not walking in gross sin and practicing it and knowing it ain't doing nothing about it. That ain't what it's talking about, okay? It means you find the will of God and you do it. And you try to live righteous. And you have been given the weapons to live righteously in this pilgrimage. We've been given the Holy Spirit to help us. And finally, after this life of probation, this pilgrimage, this warfare, then we will literally put on perfection. We'll be perfect then, as far as God is. We'll be like the angels when the mortal puts on immortality. Jesus said you'll be like angels. Well, what are the angels like? It said they always behold God's full character. They have a relationship with him that's full and satisfied and joyful. And he says that you'll be like that. He said you'll have that kind of experience. And there's something interesting about the angels too. It said they always do the will of my father. However, angels were made in holiness, and if they didn't fall like the devil did, they're capable of not making mistakes against God because they perfectly serve him, and they're made to do that. It isn't a struggle for them. He said they always do the will, and so that's what's going to happen to the Christian when he crosses over and when he puts on immortality says he'll be like the angels okay even Paul said I have not yet attained perfection but I press on and finally final perfection will come and we will be like the angels so even Paul and his excelling more than anyone else probably and maybe others that God don't tell us about some people have never known. We'll see that the first shall be last and the last. People we think who are the greatest, God may not consider. He said what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination to the Lord. He knows motive, intent. He knows what people have been given. 
and what they're faithful to. So when he evaluates, it'll be done well. And we may be a little surprised that so-and-so barely made it. Oh, I thought he was such a great minister. Thousands of the Lord has said, well, he wasn't as good as this one. Well, who's that? Well, you don't know him. But he was known by God. Okay? So they always have this continual knowledge and communion and everlasting fellowship, the angels do, with God the Father. And we all have the same thing when we cross over. Verse 3. For through the grace given to me, now he's going to get into certain of the ministries and gifts and God's power for these. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have a sound judgment as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. There's two things the devil likes to do with people trying medicine. He likes to puff them up like a balloon and they get proud and arrogant and they think they're special. Or he likes to deflate them and tell them they're worthless and they can't do anything. Well, neither is true if the Christian follows the Lord. Oh, I've heard Christians go around and they look meek and mild and they have certain ministries they are effective at. And it's, oh, it's not me, it's all God. It's all, I, I've actually confronted them and said, well, you're lying. Christians shouldn't be lying or they get astounded. I said, it's Christ in you, but you're doing it too. I said, to say it's all God is not true. You have joined yourself to the Lord. You're responsible for the gifts, but God's behind it. So it's a false humility. God does not like false humility. Judge yourself properly. I can do these things for God is helping me, and he's gifted me to do this. See, that's the proper evaluation. And it's my duty to do it, and I'll get rewarded for it. And if I don't, I will be punished for it eventually. That's stewardship. And then you evaluate yourself well, and you don't measure yourself with other Christians, and we are not competitive. So that's the danger. It says, you that are spiritual, restore those who've fallen. You don't let a normal babe or a novice do it because he gets puffed up. He thinks, oh, God will forgive you, but isn't it wonderful that I didn't fall, that I'm not bad like you? He's not stinking because he's a novice. The spiritual thing, oh, like somebody's about the grace of God, I would know by your obedience to grace, you would be like that. It's not all God. All the people like, put it all on God. Well, it's God. No. You have to obey. Why does he tell you to obey? Why does he tell you to conform? Be truthful. I and God do this. We are the vessel, but we have the treasure. But the treasure, if the electricity, the treasure doesn't have a copper wire, it can't express itself. And that's the same as we are. The body of Christ cannot express itself, the branches, without the vine. But the two together produce results of the fruit, and we're held accountable. The spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. They get the word from the Lord, but they can refuse. They can accept it. They can wait for a proper timing when they feel it's right. They're in control because God holds them responsible for acting in his name. Some people tell me, oh, I couldn't help but speak in tongues. Yes, you can. That's just the overwhelming. You can control it. And actually, he told people in church, 
be quiet and don't speak out loud in tongues unless there's an interpreter. So that says they can control it, doesn't it? Uh-huh. So we need to rightly evaluate. We are nothing without Christ, but we are with him. And he can't get done what he wants in the body of Christ without the body. He's the head, we're the body, okay? God, he's saying, Paul, gave me great grace or empowerment to minister wisdom and counsel to the body of Christ. He's an apostle. He laid the foundations. Be careful not to get puffed up in pride and think you're special above others. Well, you have a lot of people think that because uh, they've not evaluated them. But he said, evaluate yourself truly in Christ's eyes. If you're going to measure yourself, how do I do with Christ's measurement? How does he evaluate me? That's the important thing. Is what he does. Now, being a living sacrifice and a mind renewed, he will give gifts and services. And your spiritual place is to edify and help the body of Christ. Each is given a measure of faith. That's part of the grace. That's part of the gift. For a service or a ministry. Now, back to the pride and measuring yourself with others. There is no competition in the body of Christ. You don't ever find that. Paul warned them. They would say, well, Peter is my favorite apostle, and Apollos is mine. And Paul reproved them, said, you're childish. He said, it's Christ in them. It ain't them. So when you start having favorites, because this guy looks good or he speaks well, Apollos was a great orientator. It appears that Paul said, I was rude of speech. But they both knew the gospel pretty well. And so we need to understand that. So he was saying, we'd be careful using the things of God to promote and lift up one's human pride is a sin that will not be overlooked by the Lord. 1 Corinthians says, and we'll close, Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. He's warning the Christian here. Let's close. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding. Help us to live your word. In Jesus' name, amen.